Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join us today for the Week in Review, where I talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, first up from landlords.co.nz on the 7th of August, a step too far. Second topic from interest.co.nz on the 7th of August, a new paper by Treasury, the Reserve Bank and the Ministry of Housing says housing supply and wage inflation are the two biggest factors in setting rental prices. Third topic, interest.co.nz on the 9th of August, government set to gut loan affordability rules and another triple CFA review to make sure people can borrow when they have good credit. Fourth topic, from one roof on the 7th of August, when to go nuclear, the risks and rewards of pre-auction offers. Fifth topic, from RNZ on the 9th of August, landlords benefiting from lack of housing supply, renters united. So first up this week from landlords.co.nz on the 7th of August, a step too far. The New Zealand Property Investors Federation, NZPIF, contends that the Green Party's proposed Rental Property Warrant of Fitness, or WAF, could impose an unnecessary yearly cost of approximately $90 million on renters. The idea of a rental property WAF was initially suggested 25 years ago, but has been rejected by all previous governments. Sue Harrison, the president of NZPIF, highlights that amidst a cost of living crisis, rising mortgage interest expenses, increased taxes on rental properties and the added financial burden of a proposed WAF certification every four years, rental property owners find it challenging to manage these expenses without raising rents. Peter Lewis, vice president of NZPIF, underscores that tenants are unlikely to welcome more inspections of their homes. Existing insurance company required inspections are already met with some reluctance. The necessity for a rental property WAF is questioned, as it would replicate existing laws and measures that already ensure rental property quality and compliance. Rental property owners already legally declare compliance with healthy homes regulations and face significant penalties for false declarations. Tenants are encouraged to report issues to the Tenancy Tribunal and can receive substantial damages from non-compliant landlords. Additionally, the Tenancy Compliance Division of the Government conducts inspections and holds poorly behaving property owners accountable. Lewis concludes that the abundance of existing laws and safeguards is sufficient for enhancing rental property quality and standards. He emphasises the need for more private rental properties in New Zealand and suggests that additional well-intentioned measures could actually hinder this goal. Second topic for this week in review from interest.co.nz on the 7th of August, a new paper by Treasury, the Reserve Bank and the Ministry of Housing says housing supply and wage inflation are the two biggest factors in setting rental prices. A recent research paper jointly authored by the Treasury, the Reserve Bank and the Ministry of Housing reveals that wage inflation and housing availability significantly influence rental costs. The findings underline the basic principles of supply and demand in economics. The study establishes a direct link between nominal wage increases and corresponding rent hikes, maintaining a one-to-one -one ratio, while a 1% rise in the number of occupants per dwelling results in a 1.5% surge in rents. The paper suggests that when the supply-demand gap widens, the, the wage-rent relationship strengthens due to competition among renters, 
allowing landlords to capitalise on wage growth. The research paper underscores that the proportion of renters has grown since the 1990s, with this group often dedicating a larger portion of their incomes to housing expenses compared to homeowners. The insights from this study aim to inform more effective government policies regarding the rental market dynamics. While progress has been seen in Auckland with the unitary plan, the Medium Density Residential Standards, or MDRS, aims to replicate this success in other urban centres. The research indicates that rental prices in New Zealand have generally mirrored wage growth over the past two decades and have outpaced overall inflation. The paper highlights that renting has steadily increased over the last 30 years, with about 32% of households renting in 2018, which is up from 23% in 1991. The authors identify additional factors that impact rental prices, including the unemployment rate, job security, mortgage rates, and potential feedback loops in the banking sector. Ultimately, the study's central conclusion asserts that income growth and relative supply and demand of dwellings have played the primary roles in shaping rental prices in New Zealand over the past two decades. You know, this is something that we've been saying for quite some time now. If you if you penalise landlords and increase landlords' costs, they've got no other option other than selling the rental property, which is just going to make the supply side of the scale worse. And they've got no other option but to increase rents as often as they can and as much as they can to help offset those costs. If you'd like to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing in 2023. I'll discuss strategies for successful investing from my perspective as a financial advisor, and these free events are available either live, online, or in person. Check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. We don't sell property, so it's all about increasing your knowledge to reduce your risk. And if you've already been to one of our free events in the past and would like to find out more about how we can help you reach your financial goals, you can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website. Third topic for this week in review from interest.co.nz on the 9th of August, government set to gut loan affordability rules in the triple CFA review to make sure people can borrow when they have good credit. Stringent penalties in the Credit Contracts and Consumer Finance Act, or the Triple CFA, have led to invasive and disproportionate investigations into borrowers' expenses by banks. This has resulted in the legislation failing to establish a fair, efficient and transparent credit market, according to a newly released Cabinet paper. Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister Duncan Webb has announced a wider review of the Triple CFA to address these issues. This is what? The third review into the triple CFA, third amendments to the triple CFA. It'd be nice if they got it right to start with, wouldn't it? The 2021 changes to the credit lending legislation aimed at protecting vulnerable borrowers have inadvertently hindered borrowing even for low-risk borrowers. Despite earlier tweaks to ease prescriptive rules on loan affordability, Recently released documents revealed that time-consuming and invasive affordability assessments mandated by the Act are negatively impacting both lenders and borrowers. Webb informed the Cabinet that the emphasis on avoiding consumer harm and a broad-brush approach have led to less efficient finance provision 
as well as barriers to efficiency and innovation. The proposed changes aim to relieve the disproportionate burden on lenders and consumers who can afford lending while maintaining protection for vulnerable individuals. Webb recommended cabinet approval for a review to investigate the necessity of credit lending rules and stricter lending requirements. The review would also consider whether more intensive and invasive assessments of a borrower's spending and expenses are needed. The goal is to establish more nuanced regulations that align the regulatory burden with the risk profile of lending. Cabinet agreed to Webb's recommendation and the review's terms of reference are being developed by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, or MB, and will be presented to the Cabinet for approval. The review is expected to report back to the Cabinet by early 2024. Additionally, the Cabinet has exempted buy now, pay later providers such as Afterpay from certain triple CFA obligations. Buy now, pay later lenders will need to perform credit checks upon sign up and before increasing credit limits, but they're exempt from affordability assessments and certain disclosure requirements. These changes are seen as proportionate, with officials suggesting that certain groups, particularly women, younger individuals and those unable to access traditional credit products in Māori stand to benefit from the proposed changes. I would suggest that another major chunk of the population that would, that would benefit from proposed changes would be those who are trying to put their mortgages onto interest only as interest rates have increased significantly. So putting some of their mortgages onto interest only but at the moment, you've got to go through a whole loan application with a number of different lenders. And if you don't meet the lending criteria with the higher test rates, they literally can't let you go from principal and interest onto interest only, which is crazy. Because these are people who are affording the mortgage at principal and interest and the banks are saying, we can't let you go on interest only because you don't qualify. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that, that it'd be great to see removed from this stupid legislation and I believe that we've got a couple of parties that have said that they'll remove banks from the triple C triple CFA legislation if they get elected which would be before the um, date that this expected report is due to be back at cabinet I mean seriously people okay fourth topic for this week in review from one roof on the 7th of August when to go nuclear the risks and rewards of pre-auction offers. Buyers are feeling the pressure due to increased competition as the number of property listings drops. Pre-auction offers are making a comeback, a trend that was unusual earlier this year. Buyers are resorting to pre-auction offers to try to outmaneuver competitors, according to Dylan Turner, the principal at LJ Hooker Manurewa. Turner has observed buyers making strong initial offers to secure properties and avoid losing out at auctions. He recounted an instance where a family, tired of repeatedly losing out on houses, made a compelling offer that was accepted. Pre-auction offers are bids made by potential buyers before the actual auction. Look for the phrase, unless sold prior, in listings, Turner suggests, as it indicates the seller's willingness to consider an offer. However, if the listing lacks this phrase, sellers cannot legally accept pre-auction offers. When presented with such an offer, sellers can either accept it and withdraw the property from the market or bring the auction date forward. 
if the auction date is moved forward, the pre-auction offer becomes the starting bid and the reserve. Turner explains that the property is then listed at the price proposed by the buyer when the auction begins. Any higher bid ends the seller's ownership, which means that it's for sale because the reserve has already been met. Agents are required to inform all registered bidders if pre-auction offers have been submitted by other parties, ensuring transparency, especially for first-home buyers. While pre-auction offers usually lack conditions, there are instances where sellers consider a buyer's circumstances before making the decision. However, conditional offers come with risks for the seller. Buyers needing to include conditions in their offers might find it better to wait and observe the auction outcome if it hasn't already sold. If the property doesn't sell at auction, then they can make unconditional offers or offers with conditions. Nikki Ramsden, a buyer's agent at Buyer's Agent New Zealand, highlights that buyers typically make pre-auction offers to minimise their competition, although personal circumstances might also be a factor. She explains that such offers might include finance clauses or other conditions, or buyers might be willing to offer more in exchange for a longer settlement period. Ramsden advises buyers whether they choose pre-auction offers or auction participation to conduct thorough research before making any decisions. Quick action is important upon seeing a property listed as auctions can be brought forward. Ramsden adds that pre-auction offers need to be compelling and well-prepared. Agents have reported a rise in FOMO, fear of missing out, due to fewer new listings, which is placing new pressure on buyers for the first time in a year. Ray White head auctioneer Sam Steele notes a noticeable increase in pre-auction offers recently, with many auctions being moved forward after pre-auction offers are accepted. Steele explains that a warming market has prompted the return of pre-auction offers, and the average number of registered bidders has doubled compared to a year ago. Turner shares that when pre-auction offers are made, buyers usually hope the property will be withdrawn from the market, while sellers often prefer to proceed with the auction. And this can create negotiation challenges between buyers and sellers. Accepting a pre-auction offer often hinges on the seller's assurance that a better price won't be achieved at the auction. And you never know, do you? Sellers may worry about missing out on potential higher bids. In certain cases, the agent might discuss accepting an offer when the marketing process indicates that the property might not reach its initial estimated value. So here's some tips for successful pre-auction offers. Number one, don't hesitate to ask the real estate agent about the seller's willingness to consider an offer. It's free to inquire. Secondly, obtain pre-approved finance for that specific property, especially if you're going to be making an unconditional offer. Number three, present your offer through a signed sale and purchase agreement to demonstrate your seriousness. Number four, make an offer close to your maximum budget or alternatively at whatever price you would like to make your offer. Number five, be flexible in terms of settlement duration, considering longer or shorter timelines. Fifth topic for this week in review from RNZ on the 9th of August, landlords are benefiting from the lack of housing supply, according to Renters United. According to housing and poverty advocates, new research shows an urgent need for more housing as landlords take advantage of the low supply. The link between tenants' wages and rental costs was highlighted in a report released by the Treasury, the Reserve Bank and the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development. 
Low supply and high demand enable landlords to charge as much as their tenants can afford to pay, according to Renters United President Geordie Rogers. The report also noted that mortgage rates only had a marginal impact on rents. Rogers said he often hears landlords state that the reason they increase rents is because of increasing costs they're taking on. He relied on the Treasury's forecasting, which revealed that rent prices were rising more quickly than the rate of inflation. According to Rogers, it's obvious that the scarcity of available housing benefits landlords. Peter Lewis, Vice President of the New Zealand Property Investors Federation, asserted that tenants should not hold landlords responsible for rising rents because they are not immune from rising costs. He noted that many landlords were members of the working class who they themselves struggled with expenses. Among the list of increasing costs he cited are council rates, insurance costs, which have gone through the roof, maintenance costs, water bills, and he also added that the government phasing out of interest deductibility on residential investment properties was an additional pressure on landlords and a major factor in increasing rents. Lewis referred to this as a tenant tax and claimed that it was forcing landlords to sell their properties or pass the costs on to tenants. And I completely concur with what Peter Lewis has said there because we've spoken to a number of our clients who've said that they've had good long-term tenants and they've been reluctant to increase the rents even though market rent has increased, but they've reached a point now where they literally have no choice. They either increase rent or look at selling the property, neither of which is a great outcome for the tenants. And, you know, in most situations, it's not been so much the increase in the mortgage costs. It's been much more significant have been the tax changes that have uh, caused an increase in in tax to be paid by those landlords. Uh, Peter explained that a large portion of the additional money that tenants must now pay their landlord goes straight to the government in those taxes that I just talked about. The Child Poverty Action Group said that parents now spend a larger percentage of their income on rent than ever before. Housing spokesperson Alan Johnson said this wasn't fair to kids. I think that's not fair to anyone really, is it? I agree with you. He said that rent is a contributing factor to poverty and hardship. If landlords are unable to provide affordable rentals, he believes the government should step in. And I agree, the government should step in and get rid of that stupid rule which has caused this problem to start with. Or we vote to change the government. Johnson believes that it might be time to expect the state to do more since they've relied on mum and dad landlords to provide so-called affordable housing for too long. Johnson stated that tenancy laws needed to be tightened to address inequalities between renters and landlords. Using your emotions when buying property can be dangerous, especially at a time when headlines emphasise the resurgence of pre-auction offers and FOMO. So don't be swayed into making rash decisions. Take a breath and use your time to learn about choosing the right strategy for your situation. Sign up for our upcoming How to Succeed with Property Investing 2023 events. As an experienced property investor and licensed financial advisor, I'll be sharing valuable insights and expert tips to help you on your journey. We welcome anyone who's interested in property, whether you're a first home buyer or a seasoned investor. The best part is these sessions are absolutely free. Take advantage of this opportunity. Bring your questions with you and I'll answer as many of them as I can. Visit propertyapprentice.co.nz today to secure your spot and register for one of our events. 
Alternatively, you can book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, through the website as well. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. And if you're already a client of ours at Property Apprentice, if you've got any questions, you obviously know that you can call your coach at any time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.